0: But now we turn to our lesson for the evening as we make our way through the ABCs of Reformed Theology. Last week we looked at O is for Ordo Salutis, that Latin phrase which means order of salvation. And we saw that the Holy Spirit comes and he applies all the benefits of salvation that Christ has won for us in an orderly way. And we looked at that golden chain of salvation which cannot Be broken. Once it is started, God will finish it to the end. And we also saw that He does this first and throughout by uniting us to the person and work of Christ, who is a kind of a personal fountainhead of all those saving benefits. If you remember, I compared it in a sense to the Trinity, as in the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, we ought not to think only of the one essence apart from the three distinct persons, so with respect to the work of redemption by the Holy Spirit, we shouldn't think of just the distinct blessings apart from the union that we have with Christ. They go together. So union with Christ is that fountainhead from which flow all the other blessings that the Spirit applies to us in an orderly way. By union with Christ, we are in Him. What a good good news and good reminder for us again tonight. Now, the Holy Spirit's ability to do this for us, for the elect, for each and every one of the elect, without error, without hindrance, without being stopped in his tracks, well, that is dependent upon another truth, the truth that we are considering tonight, namely divine providence. That is absolutely necessary for the Holy Spirit to be able to fulfill and apply all of those blessings that Christ has won for us. And so we're examining tonight, Providence. P is for Providence. And so let's find in our Belgic Confession of Faith, Article 13. So in the back of our Trinity Psalter hymnals, that is found on page uh, 859, Article 13. Article 13. So I'll, I'll read this for us, but read along and pay attention to this fine, fine, precise definition of God's providence for us in article 13. We believe that this good God, after he created all things, did not abandon them to chance or fortune, but leads and governs them according to his holy will in such a way that nothing happens in this world without his orderly arrangement. Yet God is not the author of nor can he be charged with the sin that occurs. For his power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that he arranges and does his work very well and justly, even when the devils and wicked men act unjustly. We do not wish to inquire with undue curiosity into what he does that surpasses human understanding and is beyond our ability to comprehend but in all humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God, which are hidden from us, being content to be Christ's disciples, so as to learn only what he shows us in his word, without going beyond those limits. This doctrine gives us unspeakable comfort, since it teaches us that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the arrangement of our gracious Heavenly Father. He watches over us with fatherly care, keeping all creatures under his control so that not one of the hairs on our heads, for they are all numbered, nor even a little bird can fall to the ground without the will of our Father. In this thought we rest knowing that he holds in check the devils and all our enemies who cannot hurt us without his permission and will. For that reason we reject the damnable errors of the Epicureans, or deists, to say that god involves himself in nothing and leaves everything to chance so that is the catechetical reading for us you can kind of leave that open and, and look at it as we proceed tonight examining this doctrine of divine providence so first let's uh set out with the definition and i find that in the heidelberg catechism we have a very clear and precise definition and question and answer 27, and this is somewhat of an abbreviated definition from that. But what is providence? It is the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby he upholds and governs all things which do not come by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And so his almighty everywhere power, power, which is present, upholding all things, orchestrating all things according to his eternal decision, his eternal decree. Now, uh, as far as etymology, that what, what this where does word come from? What does it mean in a sense? Well, providence is from pro, which means before, and videre in Latin was to see, to see beforehand. So it refers to God's foresight and his care for his creatures. His foresight and care for his creatures Fran- Francis Turritian, great theologian, a scholastic theologian describes providence as the efficacious administration of all things decreed, the temporal government of all things according to that decree. And so he planned all things that would come to pass. In eternity past, before the creation of the world, he had it all planned out, all mapped out. And then in time and in space, the Holy Spirit comes and is actively engaged in his creation to ensure that everything happens according to plan. I was thinking, uh, what is kind of analogous of this? What's an analogy for this? And one that came to my mind is my wife's own work as a civil engineer. She sets out plans for the city and construction workers and then sends those plans out, right? And then as part of her job, she has to go out onto the field and ensure that those construction workers are doing it in accordance to the plan. And obviously it's, it's not a perfect analogy, because God the Holy Spirit is perfectly administering and ensuring that everything goes according to his plan. But there is an analogy of truth in that that helps us kind of correlate and see how it corresponds. Executing that eternal counsel of God. And so, uh, to explain this a bit more, it's based on his eternal counsel the Holy Spirit comes as the agent of God's plan ensuring that every tiny detail happens in time and in space which scope encompasses all things nothing is outside of God's providence but especially the narrow focus of his providence is the care of his own the elect his special care for us and our salvation so God has a broad providence. Theologians talk about a broad providence of God, which covers all things to the sm- smallest detail. Like, as we read in the Belgic, from the falling of sparrows, or the falling of even the, the tiniest hair from our head, all of that is in accordance to God's plan and providence. But his special providence, so not just the broad, but that special providence is his fatherly care for the elect. This is the total supervision and government of all his creation, which includes God's administration even over the will of humans. And this is where we get into mystery. That man's free agency, his freedom to choose whatever he wants, and God's sovereignty, those are two paths that run alongside each other, never mixing or or overlapping one another. And this concept in theology is called concursus. Concursus, another Latin word for two courses running alongside each other, never crossing or mixing. They're running concurrently alongside each other, two courses. The idea is that God sometimes acts immediately and directly upon his creation, but ordinarily and usually he works through natural means through secondary causes and agents. And so ordinarily, in the case of someone who's sick and we're praying for God's healing and the provision of healing, ordinarily God uh, in his providence orchestrates that through agents of doctors and medications, etc. And that is his ordinary way of executing his eternal decree and his providence. Rarely does he intervene in an immediate and direct way to simply heal someone apart from those ordinary means. Hopefully that makes sense there. But Francis Turretin says this, of how these, these two concurrent paths that never cross and are mysterious to us. He says, the providence of God does not overthrow the liberty of the will, but permits it to exercise its own movement most freely, although inevitably. The concourse of the first cause, that is God's will, does not exclude the concourse of the second cause, which is human will, right? It doesn't overthrow it, but it doesn't exclude it either. And so we can learn from this that God's providence does not make us into robots, and it does not turn God into the author of sin. But as we looked at from the Belgic, the Belgic, and we along with the, with Reformed and classic Christians, affirm both God's total sovereignty over all things, and man's responsibility. And so, like good theologians, then the Belgic confession here pulls out the mystery card, right? The mystery card when we find ourselves in too deep, and we find ourselves uh, there before the foothills of God's majesty, and we can't understand it, right? Concursus, this idea is beyond our ability to fully understand it, which is why the Belgic says, God is not the author of nor can he be charged with that sin which occurs for his power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that he arranges and does work very well and justly even when the devils and wicked men act unjustly and then notice says we do not wish to inquire with undue curiosity into what he does that surpasses human understanding and is beyond our ability to comprehend But in all humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God, which are hidden from us, being content to be Christ's disciples so as to learn only what he shows us in his word without going beyond those limits. And so there are hidden things, secret things that belong to the Lord, but the revealed things that are found in his word are there for us to learn and to appreciate and apply for us. But we ought not to go beyond those, beyond God's word, what he has given us, Uh, with speculative curiosity. And so we must be content with a certain level of mystery. Francis Turretin writes, the providence of God concurs with all second causes, and especially with the human will. Now how these two can coexist with each other, consist with each other. No mortal in this life can perfectly understand. But we have no warrant to deny a revealed mystery simply because we can't explain it. Just because we can't explain the mysteries revealed in God's Word does not mean that they are not true. It means that we are finite and that God is infinite. Uh, we are humble and lowly, and God is majestic and high and lofty and holy. And so, yes, there is a level of mystery in this doctrine of providence and how it relates to God's sovereignty and human responsibility. But we also notice that God's providence here is over all things, including sin, including failures. Uh, Although he, failures of humans, of course. Although he is not the author of it, he ordains it and permits sin for the ultimate end goal of seeing sin defeated and unraveled in the end. And there are a couple scripture passages in the Bible, which um, the, Contemporary theologian John Piper has called in a book Spectacular Sins a striking title that captures the attention spectacular sins and they prove this point well Now first the sin of selling Joseph into slavery by his brothers and and then secondly the sin of the crucifixion of Christ Now how are these spectacular sins in the sense that they were spectacles of terrible sin horrendous acts uh atrocious acts of evil committed against a brother uh, a friend and then committed against the very son of god but they are also spectacular in the sense of what god was able to accomplish even through these sins by permitting them and allowing them to happen the great good that god brought out of that and that's what john piper means by calling them spectacular (laughs) sins so In the case of Joseph, we read that in in Genesis 50, verse 20, as for you, he's speaking to his brothers after the fact of them selling him into slavery and him going down into Egypt and them ultimately finding refuge and salvation from his provision there. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so their their sin, uh, it, it it was, it originated by their own counsel, their own decision, right, in time and in space. But it was according Joseph says according to God's eternal decree. God had a plan even through and with their sin, a plan to bring Israel into a place during a famine where they would receive provision from Joseph, and that they would be sustained. And then also in the case of Jesus, we remember that right after Satan entered Judas Iscariot, our Lord told Judas, what you are going to do, do quickly. That's astonishing. Go, go betray me, in a sense. What you're going to do, he's letting him do what he wanted to do. He's handing him over to his evil desire, but with a purpose, because afterwards, the early Christians in Acts 4, 27 to 28, they're praying to the sovereign Lord, And they say this truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So clearly, in the case of the crucifixion of Christ, evil men conspired together and acted out of their own free agency but they did precisely what God's own hand and plan had already predestined to take place. Does that make sense? Hopefully it does. In both cases, God allowed for sin to unfold in order to bring about a greater good. And Francis Turner says it this way, God is the one who elicits light from darkness. Remember in the beginning in creation, he pulls light and creates light out of darkness. Well, this same God is also the one who elicits good from evil. He can draw out good, even from the evil in this world, which shines, he says, with a remarkable order of divine wisdom and justice. Spectacular, the way that God even works his power and goodness, even through the evil acts of men. Now, some scriptural support of this doctrine, this teaching, you know, almost everywhere throughout the Bible and the scriptures, it speaks of God's creation. And wherever we see God's creation and God as creator extolled, there we also find God as the one who provides. God as creator and God as provider. And Francis Turretin, he kind of, he says something that struck me as a bit comical. It kind of sounds funny here, but it's also very true. That there is no need to heap up the scripture passages establishing this point because there are almost as many as there are pages in the Bible, since nothing is inculcated more frequently, nothing more clearly presented in the Word of God than this, the providence of God. And so there are tons of passages. We could be here all night looking at all of the passages speaking about God's providence, but here are seven that we'll look at real quickly, seven key passages. Proverbs 21, verse one, which says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. So we have the king's heart, what he desires, what he wishes, his plans and decrees for his kingdom and his realm, etc. But ultimately, even the king's will is in the hands of the Lord who turns it and, and directs it like one would water. Right? Ultimately, all of our decisions, everything is in God's hand and according to his providence and supervision. Then Luke 12 six and seven where jesus says are not five sparrows sold for two pennies so they're cheap they're practically worthless and not one of them is forgotten by god he says why even the hairs on your head are numbered well fear not you are more of more value than the sparrows his deep and personal special care that he has for the elect but also that first part Right? His general broad providence over all things, including the sparrows, it, he's saying, Jesus is saying, well, if he has this broad providence and care for even things as, as insignificant as a sparrow, how much more special is his care for you, you who are the apple of his eye? Then Acts 14, verse 16 to 17 we see this, in past generations, God allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So every good and perfect gift comes from above, from our Father in heaven, and he is the one who sends us a rain and sunshine From heaven, fruitful seasons and famines, etc. All things come from his hand. uh, Food and gladness as well. Another passage, Acts 17, verse 24 to 25. Acts 17, 24 to 25, and then verse 28. Says, the God who made the world and everything in it. So first that statement of his act of creation. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You see, he's sustaining all life. Uh, just as in the beginning, we were, in order for us to be created, in order for us to come to life, we depended upon God's divine act of creating us, so in order to be sustained, in order to continue living, we must be sustained by his present Providence is power that upholds us; for in Him we live and move and have our being, Paul says. And then the next passage, Ephesians one eleven, Ephesians one eleven, where it says, "In Him, that is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will." The one who works some things according to the counsel of his will? No, all things according to the counsel of his will. So that eternal decree of God, his plan, and then now in time and in space, the Holy Spirit is coming, supervising, and executing every detail of that fine plan of God from eternity past. And then lastly, the seventh passage, Hebrews 1, verse 3. He, being the Son of God, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus, in whom all things consist, Paul says in Colossians 1, um, all things are held together. He is the one that is holding up the universe by the power of his word. And now, lastly for application, I just want us to bring two, two ideas. One, how this doctrine of providence that we're looking at brings us a challenge and then also brings us a great comfort. first, a challenge. The truth about God's providence, it puts our ego in a headlock, so to speak. It kind of chokes out our pride. Um, because we are not the captain of our life, you don't get to call the shots ultimately and determine your own fate. You are not at the helm of your own ship. So whether or not you were born into wealth or power, think of that alone, right? The fact that you were born where you were born, into the family that you were born in, that was according to God's providence. You had no say in that. Or You had no decision in that. And so all of this, all of this, and so all of this, all of this comes from God's providence. Even if you worked hard to climb up and grab success for yourself in life, well, either way, it was according to God's providence and Him enabling you, strengthening you to do that right and so we see that there's a great challenge to our pride and a great case in point of this is what we're looking at um in the bible study on wednesday morning with bill and, and some other men from our church and other churches in the book of daniel with king nebuchadnezzar in daniel two thirty four. god through his servant daniel says this to the great powerful king of his day of that day you o king The king of the kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom the power and the might and the glory, and to whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over all. Now, this sounds like he's extolling uh, Nebuchadnezzar in one sense, but there's a key, there's some key words that he puts in there by saying that God, the God of heaven, has given you all of these things. This This is from God's own end. The only reason why you're in this place of high power and position in this world, with all the authority and dominion you have is because God has put you there. And later in the story of Daniel, we realize and see how how God humbled him greatly, just as easily as he put him into that high position, he could put him into the position like a beast, grazing like the cows, right? Humbling him, showing him that we all depend upon God's providence. And you know, Michael Horton, says here that really the only proper, only a proper understanding of God's providence over all things allows us to truly give glory to God for all things. Because if some things were left outside of His control and providence, then we couldn't give God the glory for those things. But all things are in accordance to His providence. And we realize this great challenge to us that this is not our world. This is not your world. This is not your story. This is God's world, and it's God's story. And that challenges our pride, our ego. that wants to be at the center of our universe, right? Each morning, guys. And we have to be challenged by this truth. But now here's the comfort. The same truth, considered from a different angle, is a great comfort to us. Yes, this is not my world. But in Christ, I have this confidence. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. So we see that the, the same thing that challenges our pride on one, on one aspect. This is not our world. It's the same thing that when we find our refuge in Christ brings us great comfort. Because... I mentioned that, that illustration of God's providence putting us in a headlock and choking us out, soon, so to speak. Well, God's providence gets our ego in that way because we're like a man drowning. Drowning in our own selfishness and our own narcissism. And to save a person who's drowning, well, you have to first bring them into submission, right? And drag them to shore. Otherwise, they'll kick and, and scream and pull you down with you. And so, in a sense, We see that God drags us out of the sea of our self-centeredness to the shore of his powerful love where we find a sure footing the confidence of our father's care for us. And we find that this is good news that God is in control of all things because we believe in Jesus and we are his adopted children who cares for us. He who is the powerful king of the universe is also our own loving father in Jesus Christ. He is able being powerful God, almighty God, but he is also willing, being our loving Father. And so we can finish by rereading that Belgic Confession on this point about the comfort, we'll finish here. This doctrine gives us unspeakable comfort since it teaches us that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the arrangement of our gracious heavenly Father. He watches over us with godly care, keeping all creatures under his control, so that not one of the hairs on our heads, for they are all numbered, not even a little bird can fall to the ground without the will of our Father. In this thought we rest, knowing that He holds in check the devils and all our enemies who cannot hurt us without His permission and will. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the great challenge to our pride and the great comfort to our hearts that this doctrine of your providence over all things, brings us tonight. We take refuge and great comfort and assurance in the fact that because we belong to Jesus by faith, we are your adopted children. And that not only do we belong to your broad providence, but we belong to your special providential care, your fatherly care for us in Christ that not only are you working all things for general good, but you are working all things together for our own good in Christ Jesus, for our conformity to the image of your beloved Son. And so we, we take refuge and comfort in that great truth and ask, Lord, that this doctrine would enter into our hearts and instill within us a peace that surpasses understanding as we trust in you more and more. This we ask in Jesus.